Truth is the key to the discipline of God. What in the world am I talking about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, a program taking you through the Bible. This year we've done that and we're coming up on Third John. This is really interesting. And today, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at a pivotal event in the very early church that happened in AD 70. Ryan? Today, my segment is all about Jude and his short but very hard-hitting book. Yeah, very and very hard-hitting. I, I want to say that. That's very good. Okay, Janice, what did you do? Today, it's called Fellow Workers. All right. So, very, very simple. Now, this is a good time to open up your Bible Blow the dust off and open it up and begin to read the Bible with us. And if you have a Bible guide, turn to it. If you don't, write to us. We'll give it to you. Go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and let's open it up and look at what God is saying to us through 3 John. Let's study. Third John. Verses 1 through 14. The Elder. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Third John, verses 1 through 14. The third John, that's the passage that we read today, and it's a very short passage. It's the one we focus on. Let me ask you a question. Where do you find people who are perfectly living in peace? You don't find them there. You find them fighting. More often than not, arguments and fights between us revel in selfishness. That's when we do that. 
And then there's no room for selfishness when you talk about the Christian life. Really? Absolutely. See, a key to following Christ is denying ourselves purposefully, resisting our selfishness. Now, Jesus came into the world to show people who God is and what he has done for them. Now, this is also the mission of Christians, Christ followers. One of the most searched out questions, by the way, on Google regarding Christianity is, what is the church? Well, that's a good question for those of us who are in the church to ask. I mean, why do we exist? What's our purpose? Are we fulfilling that purpose? Many people have frequently told me that they've been hurt by the church. Now, sometimes these accusations turn out to be people being offended by the teachings of the Bible. While other times there has been legitimate enacted sin in the name of Jesus Christ. The only answer to this is Christians living as true Christ followers. That means something. It means denying themselves and picking up their crosses and following him. It's time for us to seek God's face and wisdom that we might live well for him in these days, especially right now. Very, very important. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have the Bible guide, that's great. If you don't, why not? We'll send you one. And next year, we're going through the entire Bible. So uh, it, it becomes very important for you to get online with us now at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Go there and click on the Bible guide page. It'll show you how you can get connected and they will automatically be sent to you every month as we prepare to go through the Bible. It is going to be very, very exciting. Now today, walking in the truth. Now I'm not talking about your truth and my truth and everybody else's truth. I'm talking about the truth. This is from 3 John 1 to 14. Listen carefully. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that we would hear you and understand what you're saying. Thank you, Lord. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now look at the scripture because this becomes important. 3 John 1 to 4, the elder, to the beloved Gatius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. John says this to us, beloved. You see, truth is a key discipline of God's ways. Truth is a key discipline of God's ways. We must always walk in God's one and only truth. Now, I've been told by people, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. But let me tell you something. There is an absolute truth that applies to everyone. It's called objective truth and God put it in play. If you want to test this, here's how we can do it. We can go on top of a five-story building and we can deny gravity and say we don't like gravity and you can jump off if you want. But I'm going to say gravity exists regardless of what I believe or who I am. Gravity's there. You see, there is truth that is absolute. It affects everyone. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come in that truth and has propagated that truth to his people. 
Third John chapter five or, or verse five to eight says, beloved, beloved, loved of God, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Fellow workers for the truth. You see, there should never be any competition, oh my goodness, in the church. Competition. We are called to work together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I was at a National Religious Broadcasters Convention and a gentleman came up to me and he said to me uh, that he had started a new church. And I said, no, that's great. And he, it, to be honest with you, is very outward. He said, yeah, we have 5,000 people every week. And uh, he was very impressed with that, him and his board members. And I was supposed to be impressed too and all of that. And I said, well, that, you know, that's great. But I noticed that he was telling everybody that. And he was propagating the idea that somehow he was winning. See, beloved, we're not to propagate our numbers and tell everybody how great we're doing. We're to focus on what God has called us to do and do that because we're not in competition. God's kingdom does not compete with itself. Very important to remember that. We learned that from John. John 9 to 14, 3 John, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Very important to hear that today. But what is good? He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Now, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write you, but I do not wish to write you with pen and ink but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak. We shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greeting or the greet the friends by my name, which brings us to the last point. Diotrephes did not have a good testimony and he, le and, and he led the church wrong. We need to work on making the church right again. A lot of people say, well, if you have a problem with the church, then the church has a problem. Well, the church does have problems and it should because it takes people in who are rejected by this world and begins to change them. The Holy Spirit begins to refine them. The best we can do is preach the word of God because it has the power to change. And that's exactly what John said. So beloved, today, let us remember the Word of God, learn the Word of God, understand the Word of God, especially 
next year as we go through the Bible again for the 32nd time. We need to hear what God is saying, especially today, because today is different than any other day before us. And let's focus on that. Now, because we are getting to the end of the Old Testament, we're starting to get into some of the books that were uh, written later on in early church history. So I want to take a look at a very crucial event that occurred in AD 70 that this, this very early church had to live through, and it would have been very pivotal uh, in the life of the church. So take a look. The year AD 70 was one that would change the course of history. The Roman Empire had a new emperor, their decorated general Vespasian, who had been declared leader while still fighting rebels in Jerusalem. The Great Jewish Revolt had begun in AD 66 and the land of Judea had been in turmoil ever since. Vespasian came on the scene to stamp out the Zealots' hope after a few decisive Jewish wins. And yet, the Zealots were so internally divided that some of that stamping was done for him while he waited. With Vespasian was his son, Titus, who took over the operation when Vespasian headed back to Rome to secure his leadership. Titus succeeded. In AD 70, he took Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. He ordered his men to destroy the temple, kill the zealots, and burn the city. Both the writing of Jewish historian Josephus and the archaeology of the area give us windows into this massacre. The temple was torn apart. Giant stones used in its construction were pushed off the mount into the streets below. An arched stairway used to access the temple collapsed, its capstone crushing the pavement below. An excavated street running away from the temple seems to indicate that the soldiers smashed through it to access the drainage tunnels underneath, being used by zealots and citizens alike to escape the carnage. Back in Rome, orders were given to mint special coins in honor of the victory, showing a personified weeping Judea and the captive rebel leader. Extra salt in the wound, since the rebels had dared to mint their own currency while they controlled Jerusalem. Eleven years later, the Senate in Rome would build the famous Ark of Titus, commemorating the success. Its carvings show Titus being deified after his death and his great victory procession when he arrived back in Rome. Pictured in this procession are sacred articles from the Jerusalem temple, the menorah, showbread table, and silver trumpets, spoils of war that were displayed in Rome. So this, you know, knowing this history really does put into perspective uh, the, you know, the, the closing book to the New Testament, which of course is Revelation. And it also puts into perspective what a, a lot of what Jesus was talking about, you know, back in the gospels when he prophesied the destruction of the temple. So that did happen very soon after his life, his death and his resurrection. So uh, this was a really fundamental uh, formational 
event in the life of ancient Judaism, you know, resulting in modern Judaism today, but also early Christianity uh, and resulting in even more spreading out of the gospel, uh, even more so than had already happened. What's interesting is that the, the time of the early church, that is the centuries after, the first three centuries after were very challenging. Mm -hmm. And um, it was Constantine who said that he saw a cross in his vision and all of that kind of thing. And uh, he stopped the persecution. But that it's interesting that the Bible formed itself or the Holy Spirit formed the New Testament and put it together with the Old Testament. So the Christians accepted both the Old Testament and the mm -hmm. New. Mm -hmm. And they had, when they said scriptures in the, in the New Testament, they were talking about the Old. But it's fascinating how that they came together and over the next 500 years, it would grow like never before. Really yeah, yeah, and in, in times of hardship, it grew despite that. And, and, you know, Christianity until recently has never been away from hardship. It's not, it, it, and that hardship is expressed in different areas, even within the Roman Empire. When you look at the different cities, they're kind of microcosms in and of themselves uh, and have their own cultures and their own struggles within that. But, but you really appreciate it when you start to get into some of that Christian history and you realize that the struggles were different, but there were always struggles. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, I'm telling you. Uh, thank you, Corey, excellent mm -hmm. piece, right? Yeah, well, today I want to focus on the tiny letter penned by Jude, or Judas in Hebrew. Now, of course, this isn't Judas Iscariot, but rather Judas, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And even though this name now carries with it very negative connotations, in the first century it was really popular to name your son Judas because of Judas Maccabeus, who of course was a leader of the Jewish resistance against Syria during the famous Maccabean Revolt until his death in 160 BC. But as I said, the Judas, or Jude, who is apparently responsible for the book in the Bible, is the half-brother of Jesus. And we're going to take a survey of this small but powerful letter. So let's go. After the three letters of John, but before the book of Revelation, is a very small book entitled, in the Greek, of Jude. As its title suggests, and as the introduction of the letter makes clear, this short but hard-hitting book, which was written to warn the believers about false teachers who had infiltrated the church, was penned by Jude, the brother of James. Interestingly, the only brothers named Jude and James in the New Testament are the half-brothers of Jesus. Although neither man identifies himself as the Lord's brother, other biblical writers do. Even the early church testified to their identity. But if these two men were indeed the brothers of Jesus, then why not identify themselves as such? Probably Jude and James didn't want any special consideration just because they were sons of Mary and Joseph, or brothers of Jesus. So rather than identifying himself as a brother of Jesus, Jude refers to himself only as a servant of Jesus. As far as the dating of this letter is concerned, it certainly could not have been written past AD 90 since a brother, even a younger brother of Jesus, could not have lived past this time. A major key in accurately dating Jude is actually 2 Peter. This is because both letters describe similar false teachings, which suggests that they were written around the same time. As one scholar explains, both letters denounce false teachers with very similar language. Since the order is similar, and since the Bible does not use many of these words and expressions elsewhere, some kind of relationship probably exists between Jude and 2 Peter. 
The good news is that we know 2 Peter was written between 63 and 65 AD. But the bad news is that we don't know which letter came first. Did Peter borrow from Jude, or did Jude borrow from Peter? If Jude used Peter as his source, then his work would post-date 2 Peter. On the other hand, if Peter used Jude as his source, then Jude would obviously predate Peter. Since there is no way of knowing for sure which came first, scholars date Jude anywhere from 60 to 80 AD. Also somewhat of a mystery is to whom Jude was writing. While it is evident that he wrote to a specific church or group of churches, not much else is known. However, at the very least, the Jewishness of Jude's letter suggests that the recipients were primarily Jews, perhaps living in the midst of a Gentile culture. Part of what makes Jude's letter so Jewish and so unique is his mixture of Holy Spirit-inspired scripture with a bit of Jewish tradition. For example, he tells of the archangel Michael's dispute with the devil over the body of Moses, and he quotes a prophecy from the pre-flood prophet Enoch, each of which come from non-biblical Jewish writings. Of course, as Dr. Henry Morris pointed out, Jude's references to these extra-biblical texts do not mean that the books themselves were inspired writings, but rather that certain portions of them did convey authentic histories. Now, originally there was actually a lot more to this segment, but unfortunately it had to be cut down for the sake of time. The good news is, though, that you can go to our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com and read the entire article there, which is nearly actually double the length of what you just saw today. It's called simply An Introduction to Jude, and I definitely recommend that you check it out. That's right, and you can go to our website, but I want to mention to you that we have a program called Church 365, and uh, you need to get on this program because if you want digital assets, that is the websites and other digital things we're producing in 2022, this is going to be exciting. We're going to develop this and grow it. So there's the partnership base, which is great. The more partners we have, the better. That's how we survive. And then there is for an extra $10, there's Church 365. And that takes you further with questions and everything else in digital plus digital format, different things we're doing. So make sure that if you want to know more about this and more about the Bible, that you become a Church 365 member. And you probably, uh, if you are somebody who likes that, you'll probably end up starting your own Bible group. So that's great. So it's not a TV program. No, it's, it's a program. I mean, not a program like a television program, <laughs> but a, a full-blown support for the people who are doing Bible studies. Yes. Right. It's like supplementary materials to get you reading the Bible and optimizing yeah. your study. That's right. There so, you go. There you go. Janice? Optimizing. I like that word. And today I titled my segment Fellow Workers because we are reading the third epistle of John and he's writing to Gaius here. And um, we learn from John that Gaius's support of the brethren, including those he does not know personally, reflects his faithfulness to the Lord. And John says that we become fellow workers in the Lord's service when we support the ministry of others publicly as well as financially. John says, for I received greatly I, or I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have become witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, 
you will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive or support such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And really what I wanted to say was thank you to you. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you that have supported us through 2021, whether it was $1 or whether it was more than $1. I want to say that you are indeed our fellow workers for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of your faithfulness, we have been able to come on the air every day this year and proclaim the gospel and the good news to stir up a desire in the hearts of people to get back into the word of God and to encourage one another and to be able to pray one for another. It has been the faithfulness of God through you, through your giving, through your prayers for us. And we want you to know from the very bottom of our very full hearts, our great thanks to you, our thanks for your obedience to listen to God's Holy Spirit when he prompts you to pray for us or on the times rod so many times when we would come to the place of having to pay for airtime or or something and just in that moment there it comes there it would come a phone call from one of you or a piece of mail that was opened and every single time it has been such a wonderful encouragement so from all of us Mm. here at this table and behind the scenes we want to say a thank you so very much for being a fellow worker with us in this ministry we all can't sit at this table but there is nothing that each one of you haven't done that god hasn't designed and called you to do so thank you so very very much and the, the you know the partners of this ministry the people who give on a monthly basis or they give regularly and, or uh, even once, Rod. Yeah, it once. Just, yeah, just, just, just amazing. It really is. And, 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 you know, you said it so well, Janice. Just thanks. Um, God has used you like never before. And, you know, we're on the air, but God's really using our partner. Mm-hmm. Our partners are awesome. So thank you for doing that. We don't say it enough. And sorry about that. We're teaching through the Bible, but we're saying it. You are awesome. Thank you for doing that. Partners, people who have given and been a part of this. We thank you so much. Uh, and God has sustained us through the pandemic. Praise the it's Lord. been absolutely amazing. We haven't had any emergencies that we've had to deal with, but praise God, God is, has kept us. remind you that you can become a part of it, a partner with this program by writing for your Bible guide. And we encourage you to do so. We're going to begin again next year with the Bible guide. So make sure you get online and get on through the mail and through the phone with us. But today we need to pray. And as we pray, we say, Lord, I need to talk less and to pray more because I need to align my heart with you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, 